0: Prayer should be our first response, not our last resort. The creator of the universe gave it to us so we could have direct access to him. God hears you, whether it's in your daily things or the hardest moments, through the supernatural power of his Holy Spirit, he empowers you as you draw near to him. God is faithful in every circumstance, and he promises to deliver you from your situation. The answer to your prayers is God. His ways are higher. His thoughts for you are greater than you could ever think or imagine. He desires to build a deep relationship with you, and that happens through prayer. Good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for being here today. And all of you who are worshiping with us online, we welcome you to Sugar Creek this morning. Bruce Pandafini may be a name that you don't recognize. I sure didn't recognize it, but it turns out that he is one of the greatest chess coaches in all of the country. Chess coaches. How many of you play chess? Would you raise your hand? A bunch of you do. I do too. I love it. He is one of the great chess coaches in the country. And here's what he said. He said, my lessons consist of a lot of silence. If I do ask a question and I don't get the right answer, I'll rephrase the question and wait. But I never give the answer. Even when there are long periods of silence, some of the most effective communications between student and teacher in chess Takes place during silent periods. Well, all I got to say is God must play a bunch of chess. Because there are so many times when I pray, I only get silence. Have you ever experienced that? It's not every time. There's sometimes, even before we pray, God meets our need. There's sometimes even while we are praying, God is meeting our need. But there are times. In which we pour out our heart and we're begging God and pleading with God, and all we hear is silence. And sometimes that silence is for hours or days or even years. So, what do you do when God is silent? What do you do? That's what I want to talk to you about today. We've been in a series on prayer, and the whole idea of the series is answered prayers, how to get. What you pray for, which sounds a little bold, but if you take the principles that we have walked through together over these four weeks, it's exactly what the Bible teaches us we can expect. Three weeks ago, uh, Pastor Xavier talked about some of the principles of prayer and why these principles are so critical in our life. Three weeks or two weeks ago, Pastor Tim talked about the barriers that stand between us and God. Why is it that God is not answering our prayer? Well, some of these barriers are maybe the problem, and he walked through those barriers with us. Talked about how we get on the other side of those barriers between us and God. Last week, we talked about how to pray the the will of God, how to know the will of God, how to then to pray the will of God, and how that is so effective. But this morning, I want to talk to you as we sort of wrap up this series, what do I do? What do I do when God is silent. And I want to begin this this message by looking at an example, a great example, honestly, of when God was silent. Now, there are many stories in the Old Testament that really show us uh, the silence of God and, and why the silence and what God does. But there is a great new testament illustration story it's one of my favorite and i want to talk to you about it before before we understand that in luke chapter one you got to actually go back to the old testament you got to go back to the book of malachi the last book of the old testament and god gives the last prophecy about the coming of jesus the coming of the messiah And in that prophecy, he says that that my son is coming, the Messiah is coming, he's coming to liberate. But but when he comes, or right as he comes, or just before he comes, there is another prophet who will come. And this prophet will get my people ready for the coming of Jesus. Well, that prophet that he was talking about, we know now, is John the Baptist. And after God gives that word, John the Baptist is coming, God is silent for 400 years. I got to tell you, when I read the Bible and I really take seriously the timelines in which you... It is amazing how slow God is. He's got plenty of time. He's in no rush. It really helps you better understand how God moves, why He moves, when He moves, and sometimes... God is very silent. 400 years. There's no more word about the Messiah for 400 years. And then suddenly it comes. There is a a husband and a wife that begins the whole process. His name is Zachariah. Her name is Elizabeth. So let's take a look at the story. It's found in Luke chapter 1 beginning in verse 5, verse 5 and 6. And in the time of Herod king of Judea... There was a priest named Zacharias who belonged to the priestly division of Abiha. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. And both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and, and regulations blamelessly. They were living for God. They were walking the walk. That's what he's talking about. It doesn't mean they were sinlessly perfect, but it does mean they were deeply serious about God. Zechariah is a name that means God remembers. And Elizabeth is a name that means my God is faithful. And that's really what happens in this story. These two are living for God. They love God. They're walking with God. But they are in deep pain in their life. Sometimes people feel like, well, if I really live for God and do what God wants, I'm never going to go through hurtful times. I'm never going to go through hard times. I'm never going to go through pain. But here are two people going through a deep pain. They can't have a baby. They can't have a child. And they are so sorrowful. Look at what it says in verse 7. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years which is just a kind way of saying they're too old now. They know it's too late. I mean, there was a period of time in which maybe there was an open window, but the window is now closed, and there is no more opportunity. They are too old, both of them, to have children. Even though both of them are too old to have children, they're not bitter at God. God didn't come through the way they wanted. They prayed, they asked God, they pled, and God said, didn't, God didn't say anything. He was silent, and and nothing happened, and yet they are not bitter. They're still faithful, still living for God. Now, Zechariah is a priest, and in the temple, there, there was this rotation for priests to be able to go and serve in the temple. It was a great honor, you can imagine. And there were two rooms in the temple. One was the Holy of Holies, but only one person could go into the Holy of Holies. That's the high priest, and only one time a year, because this was the place where the Shekinah glory of God abode. There was a second room called the holy place where the the priests would go in and rotate in and they would serve the Lord and they would minister on the behalf of the people in the holy place and this is where Zechariah is when this story happens and suddenly while he's in this holy place an angel appears to him We don't know what form. We don't know what what happened exactly, how the angel looked. But we know that Zechariah is scared to death. So take a look at what happens in Luke chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, you don't have to be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. It's the phrase I want you to notice has been heard. It is the verb tense, the aorist verb tense, aorist passive in third person. And all that means is that he is describing, the angels describing a prayer that was not just heard, but was heard a long time ago. When Zachariah is in the temple, he's not praying for a kid. He's not begging again for God. God, please give me a child. And the reason we know is that Zachariah, when he hears this, he's asking all kinds of questions. How can this be? I don't understand. Uh, He's asking all these questions, which is evidence he's not praying for a child in the temple on that day. That prayer was a long time ago, and probably he and Elizabeth gave up hope. There's no child coming. There's no baby for us that day is gone i bring this up because how many prayers have you prayed for that you've given up hope on how many prayers for your kids you prayed you prayed you prayed you prayed nothing happened god said nothing and you've given up hope on your marriage on your job and your business for other people you prayed For this church, you prayed. For America, you prayed. How many prayers have you prayed? And you gave up hope. There's no chance this is going to happen. God was totally silent. It's not going to take place. Just move on. The truth is, God always answers prayers. But sometimes, wait is the response. In the verse that we looked at, the passage we looked at last week, in 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, he said, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to God's will, he hears us, and we know that if he hears us, we have whatever we ask of him. But what he doesn't tell us, and we talked about it last week, he didn't tell us when. He didn't tell us how. And that's exactly what we're seeing here. He prayed, Elizabeth prayed, Zechariah prayed for the will of God. As it turns out, and God heard them. But God said, "Wait." And maybe that's what's happened to you. He didn't say no. He said, "Wait." When we pray in accordance to God's will, he grants it then. But sometimes it isn't delivered until later. So Here's the question. Why? Why does God hesitate? Why, why does God wait? Why, why, if, if it's the right thing and God's going to do it, why do He do it now? Why does God wait? <clears throat> when you're reading the Bible, and especially in the Old Testament, but also New Testament passages, it sort of lays out for us four key ideas. This is why God sometimes waits. The first is God waits in order to give us something better than we asked for. Every child is a gift from God. Every every child is a miracle. When they were praying for a child, it was the greatest thing that God could ever give to them, the greatest thing that they could have ever asked God for. But God was wanting to actually answer it even better. He was wanting to give them a son who Jesus said in Matthew eleven eleven, Truly of all men ever born, none shines more brightly than John the Baptist. But it wasn't time yet for John to come. There was a Messiah to come at a certain time, and there was John the Baptist to come at a certain time, but it wasn't the right time. And so God really was saying, wait, I want to answer this prayer that you're asking better than you're asking. You know what, sometimes we Ask too small of prayers. Sometimes we need to be asking bigger prayers. For our children, we need to maybe be asking bigger prayers. God wants to do some great things in the life of our children. Sometimes we ask such tiny little prayers. Oh, God, keep them out of trouble, or God, help them get out of trouble, or God, tiny little prayers. But, but God is saying, but you have no idea what I want to do with your child, and I want to bless your child. No, ask big prayers for your kids. Ask big prayers for your marriage. I want to do great things through your life. Ask big prayers for your life. For this church, for this country. Ask big prayers. Ask me for something greater than you would have imagined. Sometimes God waits because he wants to answer the prayer we're asking better than we're asking. There's a second thing. Sometimes God waits to accomplish something that is humanly impossible now without divine intervention. There are times in which God gives to us a a goal, a a vision of maybe something in our life, some, some promise that he gives to us, some dream of our heart. And then after he gives it to us, what does he do? Sometimes he then kills the vision. Does this make any sense to you? God gives you a vision for something that you're sure this is God's will. And then he kills the vision. And sometimes double kills it. To the point, there's no way for it to happen now. And then God supernaturally intercedes. Why does he do this? Why why does he take us through this? Sometimes it is so no one can get the praise other than God. Nobody gets the glory except God. Only an act of God could have created this. I'm just going to be transparent with you. That happened to me this week. There was something I'd been praying for a while on, and I just was sure it was the will of God. And I saw it disintegrate before my eyes. And and, and then I heard God say, shut it down. I don't know that it shut down forever. I do know now it is. Gave me a vision, then took it away. the reason I'm telling, I'm not going to share with you, this is something personal, but... The reason I'm mentioning this is because that may be where some of you are right now. It may be what happened to you this week or last week or where you are. You were sure God wanted this. There was a particular thing you knew God wanted to do in your life. And then all of a sudden it's gone. What do I do with this, Mark? How do I understand this? Sometimes God gives us a dream and a vision and then takes it away until only God can do it. So here's what I'm saying to you. Don't give up on that dream. Don't give up on that vision, even though it looks like it cannot possibly happen. Not now. You don't know what God's going to do. Here's what the Bible says in 2 Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 9. For the eyes of the Lord wander to and fro throughout all the land to show himself strong on the behalf of that person whose heart, in the King James Version, is perfect toward God. In the NIV, that person whose heart is loyal to God. God is looking for those that he could trust to do some powerful thing in your life. Because when you go through those moments in your life where you're just sure this is God's will, you're sure you heard the voice of God, and then it's totally removed from you. You don't become embittered. You don't become resentful. You're not mad at God. Your heart is loyal to Him. God, I don't understand. I don't know why it's happened. But I trust you. I trust you. And it's these days that we are to wait on the Lord, wait on God to do what we cannot do, only God can do, a miracle of God. Sometimes God waits so that he can do something in our life that takes an absolute miracle. It takes the hand of God in our life. Third of all, too, sometimes God waits to complete the purpose that he has in the problem. And here's what I mean. There are times in which there is something God wants to do in your life and my life. And he wants to answer that prayer. It's something great. It's something wonderful. But the problem is, is that there's some things in our life that aren't Right? He's been trying to get our attention. He's been telling us to repent of this. He has been saying to us, this is wrong. He's been saying to us, get this right. No, 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 no. God, I will not do it. And so God says, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to let you have this issue, this this blessing for me, but not now. I am going to let this create a pressure in your life. And the pressure and the pressure to grow and grow until you get serious with me about some things in your life that are wrong, that I keep whispering in your heart, but you keep ignoring. It's part of what, quite honestly, Tim was talking about a few weeks ago. The barriers. God hears us, but he says, no, until you get this issue right in your heart, Until you repent of this particular thing in your life, I'm going to hold it back. I'm going to let it create pressure until you get serious with me. One of those things has to do with our personal relationships with others. Sometimes when we are struggling with somebody that has hurt us, who's wounded us, been mean to us or has said things to us and we are struggling with it and we're angry about it, maybe maybe embittered about it, maybe even hate. And we think to ourselves and He, as God says, I want you to forgive this person, we think to ourselves, I'm not going to forgive that person. If I forgive that person, it takes them off the hook. I'm not going to do it. It doesn't actually take them off the hook. It takes you off the hook. When you and I are embittered against another person, even to the point of hatred, but it doesn't have to be to that point, but we are embittered against somebody else, the person we're hurting is ourselves. They don't even think of it anymore. They don't even care. We are the one who is hurting ourselves with our bitterness. God is saying, I want to relieve you. I want to take this off of you. Don't you worry about the other person. I will deal with that person. That's what he says in Romans chapter 12. I will deal with that person. Would you just hand them to me? You're not taking them off the hook. You're handing them to me. I will deal with them. What you're doing is relieving your own self because the more you are embittered, the deeper you actually are inflicting a wound inside you. And I'm coming to you, God is saying to you, I'm coming to you, I'm saying, let it go, let it go. I'll deal with it, I'll handle it. Let it go. And until we do, I will let it be a pressure until, and not give you, until you conform in obedience to me. There is another thing he says, by the way, in Romans 8, 28, he says he'll use everything for our good. And he is using this problem and issue for our good because we love him and because we're the called according to his purpose. And one of the ways he's using it is to get our attention. There's a fourth reason that God waits. Sometimes he, le- he waits to allow us to see and to realize how important the request is to us. I'm not saying that God is waiting to see how important the issue is to us because God already knows. I'm saying he's giving us a chance to see how important the issue is to us. Because how many times do we pray? And it's just, we pray, we don't even remember what we prayed five minutes ago. It's not important to us. Sometimes he allows us He waits to allow us time to see how important this issue is to us. It is by passion that God responds, not by passivity. And God lets us live with it for a while, holds back for a while. How important really is this, this request in your life? I I know that this seems like an odd illustration, but I didn't know this, and it does. It does speak to this a little bit. So here's the story. In 1801, Beethoven, Beethoven, the greatest musician of all time, Beethoven was 30 years old, and he began to lose his hearing. By the time he was 45 years of age, he had totally lost. He was deaf. I didn't know that. Everybody in this room knew that but me. But I didn't know that by age 45 he was totally deaf. And yet it was after he was deaf that some of his greatest works were written. How is that possible? He never even could hear it. And yet some of his greatest works it was only when Beethoven couldn't hear the world around him that he was most able to hear the beauty of music in the silence of his mind and that's not just some great statement its reality it's what actually happened to him and so I want you to think about this for a moment sometimes we can't hear God because we're hearing the voices of everybody else around us. Oh, do this, go there. This is the right thing. Sometimes we can't hear God because all we hear is everybody else's opinion. And sometimes what we need to do is get away from everybody else. Go to God and actually hear His voice. When we can't hear all the noise of the world, how important is this request in your life? So what do you do? When God is silent, whatever the reason is when God is silent, what do you do? Well, one of the things you need to do is first make sure you aren't the reason for the silence. When you are praying prayers that are according to God's will, you, you know that in your heart... The first thing you need to do is make sure you aren't the reason for the silence. Meaning the barriers that Pastor Tim talked about. That your heart is clear. That, that, that you are open to God when God is speaking to you. That you have really released the people that maybe you've built a resentment toward. Second of all, you keep on praying till you get it. This is what Jesus said, Matthew 7, verse 7 and 8: Keep on asking, and it'll be given to you. Keep on seeking and you shall find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open. Because the person that keeps on asking receives. You got to keep on. The person that keeps on seeking finds the person who keeps on knocking the door is open. I'd never heard of this guy before, but his name is Jacob Rise, and he's an American reporter and a social reformer, and I know nothing about him. And using this story is not some endorsement of this guy. I don't know who he is. But he makes a statement that I thought was pretty strong. He said, I watched a stonecutter hammer away at a rock a hundred times had a hammer, just kept hitting that rock a hundred times. Nothing, nothing happens to the rock. But then I saw him hit that rock one more time, a 101 time, and the rock cracks. He said it wasn't that the first 100 times he hit the rock that it didn't do anything. And then there was a magical strike at 101, and it cracked the rock. There was something happening to the rock every time the hammer struck it. You just couldn't see it. You keep on going. You keep on going. You don't quit because you don't always see the impact that you're having when you're striking the rock. And the same thing happens when we pray. Keep on praying. Keep on praying. Like that, the phrase goes, even a mighty oak was just a nut that held its ground. Be the nut that holds your ground and keep praying, keep praying, keep praying. And don't quit until you hear from God. Here's a third thing. Keep praying until you get an assurance that you will get it, and then start praising. And where do I get the idea? It's from the story of Abraham, and listen to what it says in Romans 4, verse 18. So when God told Abraham that he would give him a son who would have many descendants and become a great nation, Abraham believed God, even though it was such a promise that it couldn't possibly come to pass. And because his faith was strong, he didn't worry about the fact that he was now too old to be a father at the age of 100. Sarah, his wife, at the age of 90, she couldn't have a child either. But Abraham never doubted. He believed God for his faith and trust grew even stronger. And he praised God for the blessing for the son even before it happened. He praised God before it happened because he was completely sure that God was well able to do anything he promised. Here is the idea. Who knows for how long, 25 years, Abraham passed out cigars. Hey, let's celebrate my son, even though his son didn't come for 25 more years. Praising God. Last week, I shared with you a story of Kathy and I, when we were young, We early in our marriage, we discovered we couldn't have children, uh, natural-born children, and we were stunned and so disappointed. And I shared with you the story of how uh, we've had two natural-born sons, and we, we we were glad to adopt it, yay God! But we couldn't even qualify for adoption because I was in my master's degree, wasn't making enough money, and all that, and so every door was closed. And God gave us a promise. And God delivered on that promise, and our oldest son Matthew came—an incredible miracle. Every child's a miracle, but we couldn't have children. That was an amazing miracle. But we had two sons. So what happened that brought our second son in into life? Matthew was now four and a half years old, and we weren't praying for any more kids. We had a child. We we didn't even pray for any more. So Matthew was four and a half years old, and we would put him to bed, you know, every, like every parent does, and we'd put him to bed, and we'd pray with him, we'd pray for him, and then we had him pray out loud, so he'd learn how to pray out loud, and, and every night that's, we went through that together, and about four and a half in May of that year, um, Matthew was praying, and when he, and in his prayer, he said, God, thank you for my new baby brother, well, that was a surprise to me. So when we left, I said to Kathy, what about this new baby brother? She said, well, no, that's a surprise to me too. I, I, there's, we don't have any new baby brother coming. Well, he didn't do it every night, but he did it often. And so we didn't know, what do you do? Well, we didn't want to discourage him. But there wasn't going to be a little baby brother come. Someday he's going to come to realize that. And so we didn't know what to do. So it just kept happening for several weeks. And so one night when Matthew prayed that, I, I just said, Matt, um, tell me about that part in your prayer. You're praying for your little baby brother. Why, why, why are you thanking God for your little baby brother? Why are you doing that? He said, it's, Daddy, it's because of you. He said, you... Said you taught me that when I know God's will and I ask God for his will, then I don't have to ask him anymore. I just need to praise. And I, first of all, I'm pretty amazed that he remembered that. Second of all, and internalized that. And second of all, okay, so I said, so you think God, it's God's will for us to have a, ba- you have a baby brother? He said, I know it is. And I've already prayed, and now I'm doing what you said. Oh, good grief. So <laughs> now we um, go re-huddle, Kathy and I. What do we do? Now, how do we? How do we we're not going to have another baby. So it's been. It's a couple of weeks later. We're at a pastors' conference, Kathy and I, and we run across Manly Beasley. And that name probably didn't mean anything to you at all. But Manly Beasley was just one of the greatest men of faith of the 20th century, in my opinion. And. And he was just a great, great, great man, a great antifaith. He wrote stuff on faith. And in, in what happened is that over a course of time, it, we actually became friends. We got to know each other, and every church that I would pastor, I would have him come and teach. And he was just, he had totally affected Kathy in my life well a couple of weeks after this happened we were at a pastor's conference he was there and one day we came we just passing through and there was Manley and his wife and so we went over said hi and how's it going and sat down and we're just chatting for a few moments and then Manley said "Oh, oh by the way congratulations on your new son and i said say that one more time and he said, and he said, and, and I said, Well, Manly, you, you've already met Matthew several times. So why would you say that? He said, I'm not talking about Matthew, I'm talking about your second son. I said, What second son? <sighs> he said, Oh man, I hear I've gotten ahead of God. I should have never said that. I just assumed you would know by now. But no, okay, I'm sorry. I should have never said that. I said, well, you said it, and we're going to talk about it now. <laughs> nope, I'm not going to discuss it. I'm not going to, I'm, I got way out there. I should have never said it. I said, no, we're going to talk. What are you meaning? What are you saying? Well, we argued for a few seconds, a few minutes, it seemed like. And then I said, well, by the way, Matthew keeps praying this prayer. And Manley said, all i got to say to you is, you need to start listening to your son. And that's it, I'm not speaking anymore. Two months later, Kathy is pregnant with Jonathan. And the only thing we know is Matthew prayed him into being. The principle is, when God tells you his will, now you have to do, and you pray it. Now you have to do his praise. And here's the last thing, when God tells you no... Thank him. He just rescued you from something you knew nothing about. And then stop praying about that. Look, God wants to do a great work in your and my life. And the greatest prayer you could ever pray is the prayer of giving your heart to Jesus Christ. And would you do that this morning? Those of you who are online, would you give your heart to Christ? Those of you who are here in this room, when this service is over in just a couple of seconds, a couple of minutes, would you this morning go to the Next Step Center and make that decision to give your heart to Christ? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for all you've done in our life, how you blessed us and cared for us. Now, Father, help us to walk with you, come to know Jesus, many in the room, join this church, whatever you're moving in people's hearts to do, and be honored by our response of you. In Jesus' name, we pray.